It's remarkable. Easter is 21 days away from us. Good Friday, 19 days. And this year, one thing we really wanted to do is to make sure each week we're really putting that on your radar. We want to feel a sense of anticipation as we count down to the cross. We want to realize and recognize the value of what Good Friday and Easter mean for our faith. And so that's why we are starting a little mini-series today called Countdown to the Cross. We're going to look at different aspects and, and uh, circumstances in Jesus' life that I think will help point us uh, spiritually to what's ahead on Good Friday when we reflect on Jesus' crucifixion and Easter Sunday when he steps out of that grave. One thing that we do want is to have a faith that's able to be sustained no, no matter what comes our way. This morning I want to talk about the kind of faith that Jesus came to establish within us and why he had to go to the cross to do that. He wants to, to, to establish in us an unsinkable kind of faith, a kind of faith that is buoyant, if you will. You've ever been on Lake Michigan or out in the ocean, you see these little buoys that are out there, these, these red balls that are out in the middle of the water, and they, are, they have the proper weight and construction so that no matter what comes, those buoys remain on top of the water, and their purpose is to help predict uh, storms, weather patterns, waves, but buoys are designed to not sink when the storms come, family. In the same way, Jesus came to this earth, God in human flesh, to show us a way to have a relationship with God and a kind of faith that doesn't sink when the storms come our way. You ever been through a storm, family? You ever wonder how you're going to make it through it? We want to know what it is to have buoyant faith, unsinkable faith. And so today what we're going to take a look at is a narrative, a story in the life of Jesus where he teaches his disciples how to have this kind of faith. A kind of faith that remains no matter what comes our way. And I believe in talking about this, we will prepare our hearts for what Jesus did on the cross to accomplish our salvation and provide for us a way to have this kind of faith. It's the kind of thing that I know all of us need no matter what we're going through in life. And I suspect that even as I open God's word today, some of us will be cut to the heart. I, I sure was in my preparation. Challenged about the substance of my faith. Not the existence of it, but the substance of it. Many of us here today would say, I, mean, I believe in God, no doubt. But what we want to see today is that faith is more than just a historical thing that we once had. It must be a present-day reality. It must be something that we take with us no matter where we go. If your faith had a social media profile, what would that look like? Would it be with you everywhere you go? Or would there be times it was left out from your equation? Would it say, man, that's a cool picture, but I wasn't there with you when you posted it. That's a cool place you went to, but I didn't go with you there. I was with you when you posted on Sunday morning, but was I with you on Monday? We want a faith that's not merely historical, past tense. We want a faith that matters something today, family. 
And that's what Jesus came to establish within us. And in order to talk about that, I'm going to jump into the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And we are going to talk about a story that some of you may have heard about. But I'm excited because I literally have never preached this story. And from my memory, I don't think I've ever taught it. So I've been having a lot of fun reading it. And I found it there to be much more here. In fact, even this morning I told Erica, I'm afraid to forget something today. There's so much here. I know I'm going to forget something big. So you might see a social media post this week with me saying, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> Join me in the book of Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to be reading verses 22 to 33. There are blue ESV Bibles in the chair in front of you. We want you to have that if you don't own a Bible. I want you to invite you to stand with me if you're able as I read God's word for us. And even as I say God's word, this is God. He's talking to you, fam. He wants me and you to hear what he has to say. This is what Matthew chapter 14, 14, verses 22 and following says. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself. Can you say by himself? By himself himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Can you say, do not be afraid? afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Let's pray. God, I know that in this room we span an array of experiences when it comes to faith in you. God, I know there are some in this room who are still trying to understand where they are, whether they believe in you, whether they're ready to trust you. God, there are others who remember a day when their faith was very excited. And they look back in those days as the good old days, but the days that have not typified them in the present. And Lord, I know there are still others today who feel very energized. You feel very real to them. You are very uh, 
involved in their day to day. And Lord, as we find every week, we know you want to speak to us no matter where we're at on that spectrum. So with the psalmist, I say, search me, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way that's everlasting. So grant us ears to hear, God. Grant us eyes to see. And God, I pray that today something beautiful would be the product of our worship gathering in song, in your word, in fellowship. Refine us, God, for your sake. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take a seat, family. What a fun story this is. Jesus walking on water. I want us to kind of linger over some words in this passage to really soak in what's going on. You know, when I think about preaching, one of my favorite things to do is to kind of create a kind of tension. I shouldn't say create, but to pull out the tension in a text. And like you already read the outcome of the story, so you know where it's going. But as we see details, we learn tensions that are going on. In many ways, we want to put ourselves almost into the story like we're there as eyewitnesses. And I want you to put yourself into the boat with the disciples here. We find here in verse 22 that immediately Jesus told the disciples, or should I say made the disciples, get into a boat and go before him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we need to have some context to understand what's going on. Jesus was there in Israel by the Sea of Galilee, I'll talk about that in a moment, teaching an enormous crowd about the kingdom of God and what it means to have faith in God. And this crowd, we'll learn, probably had well over 10,000 people present. And as often happened, people hung on every word Jesus spoke, and as they were listening to Jesus throughout the day, it became evening time, and the disciples and others were concerned, hey, it's getting late, the people are hungry, but then when we send them out, they're a long way from home. They can be uh, in great danger as they're journeying without food, men, women, and child. And so Jesus says, what kind of food have we got around? And you might know the story. They said, well, we found two fish and five loaves of bread. And Jesus is like, perfect. Jesus multiplies the fish. He multiplies the bread. And over 10,000 people are fed and full by these minimal uh, ingredients. Now, in the book of John, the same story comes up. It tells us that the crowd saw the miracle happen and they wanted to grab Jesus by force and make him king and parade him about. Like, they were like, we saw what happened. There's no denying a miracle took place. Come on, get the crown, get the donkey, put him on it. Let's march him to Jerusalem. Let's overcome the Romans, usher in the kingdom. This is him. And so Jesus is there with his disciples, and Jesus is like, no, that can't happen. Why can't that happen? Because it's true that Jesus is the king. It's true that Jesus is the deliverer, the Messiah. It's true that Jesus ought to be riding in his authority. But what was not true was what they perceived the means by which Jesus would demonstrate his power. 
Jesus is like, look, I know the Roman Empire has a heavy hand on the people of Israel. But they're not the problem. There's a greater problem that Jesus came to deal with. And that problem is something called sin. And what sin then does, it brings death. And Jesus is like, if I let you take me and crown me king, you're trying to give me something that I have yet to accomplish. And I, yeah, if I go to Jerusalem, we could cause this great revolution, but you would still be in your sin. You would still die one day. And apart from me, you would be in eternal damnation in hell. And so Jesus is like, I can't let that happen. So what Jesus does, it says in verse 22, he made the disciples. In fact, literally says he compelled or he forced them onto the boat. He's pushing them out like, hey, get on this boat, get out of here. Get out of here. Because Jesus doesn't want the crowd to influence the disciples to misunderstand Jesus' mission. He sends them out in the boat. And Jesus then begins to dismiss the crowd. He's calming them down. And then it says he goes up to a mountain in verse 23 by himself to pray. Jesus prayed, family. God incarnate prayed. And I wish we got a transcript of some of the things Jesus said when he was on these mountains. Don't you? On the one hand, I'm sure Jesus is like, Father, this is getting crazy down here. These people are about to seize me. I need you to sustain me. Father, the crowd wants to make me king, but I know I've got other plans. I know those plans involve death and suffering, rejection by you, Father. Sustain my faith. Father, and I got these disciples out in the sea right now, and you know what's about to go down for them. Build them up, God. I don't know what Jesus was praying, but he had a long prayer because we're told that it had now become the fourth watch, which is language saying it's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Jesus had prayed through the night. Therefore, his disciples burdened for them. It says in verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Literally, it says it was many stadia. A stadia is an eighth of a mile. So it was many eighths of a mile away from land. You see, the Sea of Galilee is less like the Mediterranean Sea. It's not this gigantic sea. It's more like a big lake, not quite the Great Lakes, all right? In fact, when Erica and I went to Israel several years ago, we went to the Sea of Galilee. We actually spent New Year's at the Sea of Galilee, which was really, really cool. But in some ways, you're kind of like, I thought it'd be a little bigger than that. <laughs> in its widest part, it's eight miles wide. That's, that's no chump change. And from north to south, it's 13 miles. So when they get many stadia, many eighths of a miles away, in fact, the book of John says they are now gone about three to four miles away from land. So if they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, they literally could be looking around and finding themselves three miles away from land in every direction. Three miles is what the Ironman swimmers swim for their triathlon. It's not something you and I can do. <laughs> Maybe experienced swimmers can, but we find here in a moment that winds began to grow wild there on the sea. And the reason this happens is if you look even on your Google Maps, you'll see the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by hills. To the, to the uh, east, 
there is a mountainous range, and to the north there is another mountain, and to the, to the west there are hills. And so what happens is the Sea of Galilee becomes somewhat like a toilet bowl where winds just start swirling around there, and the people outside of it don't notice what's going on, but on the sea you're like, whoa, what's going on there? And because of this makeup, these, these windstorms can come very spontaneous. Because as you read the story, you're like, Jesus, Tom Skilling might have been able to predict this. What's going on, right? So the disciples didn't know what was coming because things happened spontaneously. Jesus is praying on this mountain. The disciples are now three to four miles away from land in every direction. And, in the, and, and it says in verse 24 that the winds began to beat them, beat the, their boat. The waves were beating on their boat. They were realizing that they're in a place where their lives are being jeopardized. Because in calm waters, three miles is not a swim most people can do. Let alone in choppy waters, let alone in Sea of Galilee spontaneous windstorm uh, waters. And so the disciples are there and there is a storm. Now this is really important. We saw this in our real community this past week. Which, by the way, man, if you're not in a real community, you're missing out. We're having some good old times in God's word and in prayer, man. We were learning, like, how did the disciples get in this boat right here, family? I already said it. How, how did they get in there? Jesus made them get into the boat, verse 22. Jesus sends them out into the sea where Jesus knows the storm is coming. And what we learn is not every storm is a storm that, that comes out of nowhere. In fact, every storm has a purpose. And as one writer I saw, there are, he says, storms of correction in our lives and storms of perfection in our lives. See, sometimes we get into storms in our lives because God's correcting us because we've done something wrong and he's trying to get our attention. And there's other times in our lives we get into storms because God's perfecting us, growing us in our faith. This was a storm of perfection for the disciples. Jesus is like, hey, you are my followers. I got plans for you, but I got to bring some storms into your life to grow your faith so it becomes a little more buoyant in these kind of waters. Family, this is important for us to understand these differences. And I want to linger here just for a brief moment because sometimes we can start misinterpreting the storms in our lives. If we overlook the distinction between storms of correction and storms of perfection... We can linger in a storm that could have been averted if we just confessed our sin. I don't think y'all hearing me there. Sometimes you're in a storm longer than you need to be because you're too prideful to confess your sins to God. Other times we are in a storm, and if we misunderstand this distinction, we think God is mad at us. Or we think we are being disciplined when in fact the storm is an example of God's love and mercy because it's like my daughter, my son, I want to grow your faith. I want to increase its elasticity here. And in order to do that, i got to bring some, some winds into your life. But this is a storm of perfection. It's to grow you in your faith. I've called it into your life. If we misunderstand these distinctions, we can miss out on what we're supposed to do in the midst of a storm. So then we cry, Lord, search my heart. Why is this storm in my life right now, God? Help me understand it so I can respond accordingly. The disciples are here. 
They're in the middle of a windstorm in the Sea of Galilee, too far from land to swim, and too far from land for anybody to hear them screaming. And that's what we find in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. That may not be what you want to see when you're in the middle of the storm at night. That's what they saw. And in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. I would have said the same thing, family. Don't go judging the disciples. They saw a man walking on water in the middle of the night in a storm. Yes, they were terrified. And so they cried out in fear. What did that sound like? You know, how high-pitched was what are those cries? They probably made a pact like, hey, this doesn't leave this boat, guys, all right? We can just say they, we cried out, but don't, don't put, like, John on blast. But, John, you're the youngest. Your voice is still squeaky, you know, whatever that was. But they were crying out like, we need help here. And then immediately in verse 27, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart is to say have courage. And you're thinking, how do you have courage when the winds and the waves are beating against the boat of your life? Well, the answer to how do we take heart or how do we have courage is in the next statement Jesus makes. Take heart. What does he say? It is I. Like I can tell you guys, hey, look, when you're in a storm, take courage. It's me, Eric. What does that do for your, your faith? <laughs> look, guys, come on. Come on. You know, I'm, I'm a good dude. You know, you're in a boat. Just, just think about me when you're in a storm next time. That's not going to help you out. <laughs> Take heart, it is I. Who's the I, family? Jesus saying, it's me. Jesus the Christ. What is it about Jesus that can allow the disciples and allow you to be of courage in the midst of storms? Jesus is unsinkable, family. Jesus is buoyant, and he is there standing on top of water to illustrate that very point. He's like, I'm here on the storm, and it's not bringing me under. And yes, even later on Good Friday, it'll put me down, but I'm going to pop back up. I'm unsinkable. I am buoyant. He is indestructible in his qualities as the God-man. His DNA is inlaid with the divine. He is truly God. He is truly man. He is the perfect union of God and man. And he is unsinkable, Jesus. So when he says, take heart, it is, the, it is I that allows us to trust no matter what we're going through in life. And then he says, so don't be afraid. It's a common and popular slogan in our culture saying faith over fear. Y'all see that? I like that a lot. Because to me, that means a whole lot. But the more I see it around, I see it hashtagged on different posts, I realize not everybody means the same thing when they say faith over fear. Because my question is, how do you define faith, or better yet, faith in what or faith in whom? Sometimes I think people mean faith in yourself over fear. Faith in your dreams over fear. Faith in what you can do over fear. I want you to know 
that you cannot overcome fear on your own. We saw in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so what we must do is learn who and what to have our faith in in order to not fear. Faith over fear is not mustering internal strength or convincing yourself that you can do it. But it's most powerfully to recognize that God's got you. When your faith is in Jesus, you can have victory over your fear. Because it is I who holds you down. See, this moment, the disciples can say, as you can say, Jesus brought me here to this storm. Think about that. Jesus brought me to the storm. And then the disciples could say, Jesus saw me in the storm. And if Jesus bringing me to the storm doesn't bring me enough comfort, and the fact that Jesus sees me in the storm doesn't bring me enough comfort, what else does Jesus do? He comes to them in the storm. Which means you are never alone in the midst of your storms. So here Jesus is demonstrating to them uh, literally and then applying to us spiritually that no matter what we're going through, he comes to us and meets us there. So I want you to understand this. Let your faith prevail over fear because your faith is in Jesus and in no one else. When Peter's there, he said, all right, Jesus, I heard you loud and clear. And then, Jesus, then Peter has the audacity. I'm still trying to understand as I read this passage. To make a request that would have never crossed my mind. <laughs> Peter says in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Like, I would have never thought that. Like, Jesus, that's really you. Let me do the same thing you're doing right now. Uh, Peter's got this audacity. But as I see that, what I actually see is an unhindered kind of courage, an unhindered boldness that God, that Jesus himself wants to produce in us and in our faith. He wants us to have a kind of faith that's unhindered in his boldness, family. And Peter demonstrates this with this crazy childlike question, Jesus, if it's really you, let me come walk into you on the water. See, Peter's faith is beginning to grow. He's beginning to learn to trust Jesus. He just saw Jesus feed 10,000 plus people with two fish and five loaves of bread. He had seen Jesus heal blind men, allowing them to see. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. He saw Jesus raise a lame man. Like Peter's like, I've seen Jesus do these things. My faith in him is growing. So Jesus, I, I want to be bold and follow you even into the storm. And Jesus then says with one word, come. And that's what Jesus tells us is come. Come with unhindered boldness in your faith and follow me. Now it's important for us to understand here because some people are very skeptical of this passage and they're like, this, this, is, this is an illusion. This, this, you, you, we must understand, if I mean, this is not some Sunday service Kanye special effects kind of moment here. There's no sandbar in the middle of the Sea of Galilee bringing you four miles from east to west and 13 miles from north to south. And the reason I know this, first of all, 
is if there is something that can walk across the sea, Jesus wouldn't be the only one on that highway. Second of all, we know that that's not the case because of what happens next in this passage. We're told in verse 29, Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Mind-blowing. That must have been amazing. It says in verse 30, though, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. If there's a sandbar, he's not sinking. Peter is walking on water. But it says, when he saw the wind. You ever see wind before? We can see the effects of the wind. And in this particular case, Peter can't see wind. He's seen the effects of the wind. And where would the effects of the wind be in this very moment? But in the waves. And so that tells us that Peter's no longer looking at Jesus in this walk, but he's now looking at the storm that's around him. And when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and puts his eyes on the storm, he begins to sink in the midst of it. I think I might be by myself here, family. <laughs> Look, we, we got to see what's, what God is teaching us here. See, see, Jesus doesn't do things by accident. Everything here is on purpose. And he wants Peter to understand that the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, we begin to sink, family. We begin to sink. And that's what's happening to Peter here. And before you get all judgmental about Peter, let's remember there's another 11 people in the boat watching. Another 11 people who didn't take a step out onto that water. Another 11 people who were not unhindered in their boldness. See, the walk of faith is a scary walk, but it begins with a step, family. It begins with stepping out, saying, Jesus, I know you're with me. You said it is I, so I want to follow you no matter how much things are swirling around me. And Peter's the one who did it. And then Peter subsequently is the one who starts sinking. And, Jesus, and he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, says, immediately reached out his hand and grabs him. Look, I think some of us today come here to the brook or streaming online. And right now you're like, man, I'm feeling Peter. I'm feeling a little Peter in my life right now. I feel like I'm sinking. And I want us to understand, family, that when you're saying, what do I do when I'm stuck in a rut spiritually? What do I do when my faith is not where it once was? But well, we do what Peter did. And you cry out, Lord, save me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, rescue me from me. I need you to step into my life. And look what Jesus does for Peter. He pulls out his hand and says, I'm right here with you, my son. He said, I'm right here with you, my daughter, but I need you to cry out to me. I need you to come to me, but I'm right here and I'll pull you up. But sometimes in our pride or in our guilt, we're like, but Jesus, I've you've, you've done this to me 10 times, 20 times. Do you have enough for one more? He does. He does. Peter would give him like 30 more just in this, this book of Matthew. Because <laughs> he's, he's a patient Savior. And Jesus says to Peter, though, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, here's something remarkable. 
Because Jesus is calling out Peter's faith in the moment of his sinking. But Peter's faith in that first step must have been enormous. See, Jesus isn't saying, Peter, do you still believe that God exists? See, we need to understand there's a difference of faith that Jesus is pulling out here. He's not questioning whether Peter truly believes that God is real. Peter wouldn't deny that. But there's a difference between a historical faith when you first believe and the ongoing faith as you live out your life. Or in theological terms, we say there is justifying faith, faith that saves, and sanctifying faith, faith that guides in life. And what Jesus is saying, you of little faith, your faith is lacking now, Peter. Not when you started. You started strong. You took great steps. But the faith right now is beginning to sink. And even in that, fam, we can't look always to the past of what once was. We need to learn to trust God in the present today. And Jesus says, why did you doubt? You of little faith. You know, in our culture, the, the tiny house, tiny car, tiny bakery, things are trending. You ever see those little tiny, tiny donuts the size of a nickel? <laughs> Dumb, right? <laughs> See, tiny can be a cool trend, but it doesn't work in faith. And Jesus said, you've got little faith, Peter. Why did you doubt? This word doubt means to be pulled in two different ways. Peter, why were you looking at the waves and trying to look at me and looking up and down? Just keep your eyes on me. And that's what Jesus wants for us today. Is to persist in having Jesus as the focus in our faith. That's the kind of faith he wants to develop. It says here, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. That's remarkable. But let's not mistake in something here. Calm was not the result of having a boat. Calm was the result of who was in the boat. Calm was because Jesus now was there in this equation. And the disciples see that, and in verse 33, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You see, their worship was not the result of Jesus removing wind. You, you follow me here, family? Their worship was the result of Jesus removing their doubt. You see, when their doubt dissipated, their faith increased and their worship took place. And how did they worship Jesus in this moment? They worshiped him through their affirmation. Truly you are the son of God. This is language used in the book of Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 where God says, I'm sending forth my son and I'm going to give him the nations. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the son of God. In fact, the angel Gabriel tells Mary, your child in your womb shall be called the son of God. It's a divine title. It is saying that someone is of divine properties. And the disciples in this moment are worshiping Jesus as God. But sometimes people will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. First of all, that's not true. He did many a times. But I also tell them, Jesus also gladly received the worship that God alone is due. He doesn't correct them here. But he receives their worship. Family, as we see this passage and as we think about the cross, 
we realize that Jesus came down onto this earth to teach us what it means to have faith in him, to give us faith. A kind of faith that prevails over fear because it's in Jesus. A kind of faith that gives us boldness that makes no sense to others around. A kind of faith that has its focus on Jesus no matter what. And as we think about the celebration of Good Friday and Easter, that's the kind of faith that Jesus wants you and I to have. A buoyant, unsinkable faith that is founded in Jesus. The disciples saw Jesus walk on water, and they would again see him walk from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. They'd see him walk into Jerusalem. They'd see him get arrested and walk the road to Calvary carrying a cross. Jesus walks, family. And he walked to that cross to pay for yours and my sin so that he can truly be the kind of king and Messiah we needed, not the kind of king and Messiah we thought we wanted. And Jesus walked again up out of that grave, family, victorious over death, victorious over sin, victorious over Satan, victorious over your doubts, victorious over your failures, victorious over your shame and guilt. Jesus conquered that for you, and he's calling you to walk out in faith today, to trust him no matter what, to not compromise because you're growing weary in the storm, but to hold strongly because it is him who holds you down, family. So how do we get an unhindered and unsinkable faith? It's by placing it in Jesus, who is buoyant, and he himself is unsinkable. Family, this is our prayer. This is what we desire, fam. This is what we need each other for, is to walk with God's strength and help with a faith that is substantive and not one that is constantly fading. As we close in this final song, um, I'm going to invite our prayer team up in a moment. And I want you to get very personal in your heart with God here. I want us to really search our heart to say, Lord, where is my faith today? Where, where is its substance? Not, not is it existent altogether, although for some of you that may be the questions at hand. But I suspect for many of us, in this room and watching online. There's a kind of faith in God. There's a kind of faith in Jesus. But is your faith more than just past tense? Is your faith following you? Are you trusting in Jesus no matter where you go? And I want us to, in a moment here, just pause to bow our heads, bow our hearts, and just pause and say, Lord, where's my faith right now? Do that here. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this room. God, I pray for those who may be visiting today, and Lord, you've arrested their hearts. Lord, for the one in the room who feels very hearted and, and is fighting everything right now because they don't want to let you in, because they're afraid of what that means. God, would you soften that heart? Lord, your word says that you can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. 
And so God, I pray that our faith would truly be in Jesus, that our faith would be trusting in you, God. God, for the one who feels so far, would they just cry out, Lord, save me. God, rescue me today. God, I pray that they would see you chasing them down like you do. Awaken us, God. Bring forgiveness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we sing, prayer team, come on up, please. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, and what I mean is like, not just that believing he existed, but put your faith and trust in him that he died for your sins. Let today be the day that you do that. And I know our prayer team would love to pray with you through that. How to cry out to God, say, God, forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the death for me. I'm turning from my sin. They want to, when I do that, I could be adopted into your family. I know our prayer team wants to walk you through that. And let today be the day where you cross from death to life and become a child of God. Families, rise to our feet and sing like we believe that our Savior is alive and walking with us through the storm. Let's give our God a hand clap. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a shout of praise, family. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Yeah. God, we thank you, Lord, for your patient love. God, thank you for your strength that never grows tired, Lord. And God, I know that when we feel like we've got nothing left in the tank, when we feel wrung dry, God, you remain strong. You can hold us down and you will walk with us no matter what comes our way, God. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters as they dismiss here in a moment. Lord, I pray that they would uh, sense your presence with them in the storms of life, God. That they would uh, come to you, trust in you, God, with what you have for them, Lord. God, sustain them, God. Strengthen them. Draw them to yourself, oh Lord. God, we praise you for all that you do. We praise you, praise you for who you are. Oh God, bless us as we move out today. Pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God bless you, Brooke family. You are dismissed. We'll see you out in the foyer.